Your news programme every morning with up-to-the-minute news and extensive analysis of issues from Korea and abroad. This morning with Alex Jensen on TBS EFM. Now, exactly 8.20, there has been a development in the story that we're about to cover as a bookseller whose disappearance prompted fears in Hong Kong that he may have been taken up by Chinese agents has mysteriously reappeared in China, reports Al Jazeera, claiming that uh, he had voluntarily turned up to... Uh, Answer to a drink-driving accident that resulted in a death 11 years ago, Gui Minhai, vanished from his apartment in Thailand last October, but voluntarily returned to China, apparently, to answer a conviction for killing a student in 2003. This is the state media line. He appeared on China Central Television, better known as CCTV, but his own daughter, based in Britain, has been claiming that she's not been able to confirm what's been reported and she finds it all rather convenient that uh, this story has emerged now as opposed to previously or another time and that other publishers were also missing. Let's bring in Sophie Richardson, China Director of Human Rights Watch Asia Division based in Hong Kong. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, so... Something doesn't quite add up in what I've just said. This is something of a mystery. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the disappearance of the booksellers is bad enough. The, the reappearance of one of them under even more curious circumstances. What's your interpretation of that? Well, I think if we were talking about a country where detainees had free access to their family members and the lawyers of their choice, if there was a free press if there was a functional independent judicial system, we might be hearing a very different story from and about Gui Minhai. Uh, but I certainly find uh, these sudden revelations and the sudden impulse to return and turn himself in to be pretty questionable under these circumstances. I mean, this has prompted uh, a protest that's viewed as the second umbrella revolution. Um, We've, we've seen uh, citizens take to the streets early this month to demand the release of these booksellers, the five who had been detained somewhere mysteriously, one of them, as we've just said, reappearing. But why would they have been abducted? Well, it's, you know, it, it's... it's I, I wish I had a great answer to that question. Uh, the conventional wisdom is that they were publishing books that were a bit scandalous. They were a bit lurid about the love lives and the affairs of various members of the Chinese leadership. Uh, but it's very hard to know. I think one of the, the, the unfortunate realities about modern Chinese politics is how incredibly opaque it remains. And it's hard to know whether the, uh, the apparent abduction of these five people took place at the direction of the senior leaders, whether it was lower-level officials freelancing, thinking it was something they could do to please their bosses. It's very hard to know these kinds of things. Is it even worth repeating Beijing's official reaction to this, or is that going to have been 
orchestrated in much the same fashion as that CCTV report? Well, if, if by that you're, you're asking about the Hong Kong government's reaction, I, I think it is fair to say that that's left a fair amount to be desired and is consistent with you know, a trend over the last couple of years in which you know, the Hong Kong government seems to be taking more of its direction from Beijing rather than vigorously representing the interests of people in Hong Kong. And that's not just about the electoral arrangements or what's happened to these booksellers, but it's also about you know, very sort of garden variety uh, public concerns about everything from housing to education here. Uh, but I think the larger consequence is that people in Hong Kong are left feeling not only that much more vulnerable uh, in that the Hong Kong authorities are not really necessarily protecting them, but are feeling that increasingly the Hong Kong government is essentially just a conduit for what Beijing wants and is not going to accurately reflect the concerns of people in Hong Kong. Yeah. What somewhat complicates this case, maybe offers some hope, is that uh, a couple of these booksellers at least have a right to international intervention, you would have thought, because Gui is a naturalized Swedish citizen. Another of them, Li Bo, is a British passport holder. Can those governments not uh, put a bit of pressure on China? Well, in principle, yes, although the Chinese foreign minister uh, said in response to questions about Li Bo last week that he was first and foremost Chinese, uh, which seem to indicate that it's Beijing's view that anybody anywhere who is of ethnic Chinese descent is somehow a PRC citizen, which is, you know, a shocking thing to say in light of basic black letter law. I think the the greater difficulty is just how hard, uh, you know, a government like the UK, for example, which has spent the last couple of years ingratiating itself in the most grotesque ways to Beijing is really going to fight hard for the rights of one of its own citizens on an issue that, you know, its interlocutors in Beijing probably just don't want to talk about. Yeah, this is all very disheartening when we hear about the rise of China on the world stage, uh, the the political power that... uh, Beijing obviously has in a number of circles beyond its own shores. I mean, we saw that turn up in the last few days here in South Korea with the forced apology, it seemed, of a 16-year-old girl, a member of a K-pop group, uh, who we referred to earlier on in the show for waving a Taiwan flag. Uh, I mean, this looks like it's only going to get worse, this problem. How can the world stand up to those forces in China that are unsavory and celebrate those forces in China that are obviously very welcome? I think as, as a, a diplomatic measure, that really shouldn't be all that hard to do. I mean, look at the much more forceful positions governments like you know, Japan or South Korea or the U.S. or Canada or the U.K. take with Russia, for example. I think years of giving excessive deference to Beijing is now really coming back to haunt some of these governments. Yeah, and what they have to do, they don't want to do this, but what they have to do if they are going to arrest this trend whereby Beijing does whatever it wants, wherever it wants, whenever it wants, is to threaten meaningful and unpleasant consequences for Beijing, right? I mean, if Beijing is not going to respect 
things like either dual citizenship or any citizenship, I think these governments need to consider the extent to which they allow Chinese government officials access to their own countries. You know, there, there have to be meaningful and unpleasant consequences. It's really the only thing that a government that relies so exclusively on brass knuckle tactics really responds to. Mm. Ms. Richardson, thank you so much for taking the time. It's a pleasure. Hearing some disturbing things there from Sophie Richardson, China Director of Human Rights Watch Asia Division. And uh, especially with relation to what we can do, we had a message earlier on in the show asking uh, about Korea's response to this relationship with Taiwan and China. But what about Hong Kong and China? What about just directly with Beijing? You can email us, efmthismorning at gmail.com.